All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of NYY Takes, a Pinstripe Perspective podcast. I'm your host, Robert Coles. I'm joined, as always, by Matthew Jarrell. If you are new to the podcast, please uh, leave a rating, a review through whatever medium you are listening to them to. Um, and if you enjoy it, please share it with everybody that you know. Uh, that would be awesome. But anyway, Matt, how are we doing since the last time we spoke on Monday? Well, the last time we spoke, we each gave a prediction for what the week would hold as far as wins and losses for the Yankees in those Detroit and Cleveland series. I believe if I remember correctly, I pinned them for a three and three week. You pinned them for a four and two week. And they ended up at five and one. So through that lens, I think we can say the week was pretty much a success. We saw some of the good, we saw some of the bad, and we saw some of the ugly in these two series, both on and just off the field. So looking forward to getting into it. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah, definitely a lot to cover. Um, I'm very happy that my four and two prediction was wrong for all of the right reasons. Five and one is better than four and two. Um, A very interesting weekend for the Yankees, but I think we should first start with kind of what I think is like a non-story that dropped today about the quote Yankee letter. So in this letter, I'll just read the bullet points pretty much. Basically, it's a letter that quote unquote catches the Yankees involved in some sign stealing scandals. So the letter does not implicate the Yankees in a sign stealing scheme similar to the one uh, for which the Houston Astros were punished when batters received the signs in real time, you know, banging trash cans. Um, it does reveal that the Yankees did use video replay or their video replay room in 2015 and 2016 to decode sign sequences and pass them to a runner on second base who would then relay, who would then relay to the batter. So the Yankees were fined hundred grand for improper use of the dugout phone. Um, and the letter clears the Yankees of using Yes Network cameras to steal signs. Yes Network just had to get out of the way there. Um, and the letter does not accuse the Yankees of sign stealing after September 15th, 2017, when Manfred announced that from that day forward, electronic sign stealing would be subject to more severe punishments. Uh, in fact, as it states here, the letter does not accuse the team of stealing signs at any point during the 2017 season. Matthew, your initial thoughts on what I feel like people expected to be like a much bigger story than it actually was. Absolutely a non-story and just really interesting and almost funny in a way that the team got so amped up about this. So the whole, the reason why there was this whole process that brought us to this point is because the Yankees were arguing that the disclosure of the material in the letter would produce significant reputational injury. And essentially what we're seeing is that there's nothing different that went on from what everybody already knew was the case back in 2015 and 2016. Yes. So So I'm just wondering, I guess I'm left with a question mark here as to what the team thought was going to be so damaging about these revelations. Cause I, I don't see anything that's worth getting at all fussy about. So if we know anything about Brian Cashman is that he kind of likes to play the media at least a little bit. Sometimes I feel like with the Yankees receiving or uh, uh, like giving out that statement, like it would cause irreputable damage. Maybe they're just kind of setting everyone up for that moment when it does come out and we all realize, wait a minute, this isn't that bad. So it's almost like you're creating, you're pre determining the soft landing because you actually know that whatever you're being accused of really isn't that bad. But if you say it's going to cause you know, terrible damage to your reputation, 
and then it comes out and it's actually not that bad. Everyone's like, oh, who cares? Let's move on. Uh, another side note that I think is hysterical, the 2015 Yankees were one of the most miserable baseball teams I've ever watched in my life. Um, outside of like the Travis Hafner, Lyle Overbay, 2013-2014 Yankees, I think it was 2014 Yankees. Um, Jose Perella was on that team. Steven Drew was on that team. Um, Chase Headley was an everyday player back in those days. It was the beginning of Didi when he like wasn't great. I mean, that was a bad team, so maybe I don't blame him for stealing signs. But anyway, I think we're in agreement there. Pretty much a non-story. Let's get into the past week and what a week it was for the Yankees. So a three-game series in Detroit – the overarching theme for this series to me was a win like the Tampa Bay Rays. None of these wins in this series, they won two out of three. Neither of the wins were particularly pretty, especially the game one win where Clark Schmidt had to bail out Garrett Cole in the series opener. Clark Schmidt goes three and a third, six Ks, no earned runs. Very cool. Um, but Garrett Cole, want to talk about this very quickly. His second straight start where he kind of just has this issue with timing. He just can't seem to catch a break. Poor Garrett Cole. They have that injury switch, um, and then Cole is kind of stuck waiting to pitch like 30-something minutes, and he's out on the field in between innings, like outside the dugout taking practice pitches, and then comes out and throws like a 45-pitch inning, only goes one and two-thirds. It's kind of all a disaster. But the bullpen got the job done, and this was kind of the first game of the – Yankees bullpen is elite thing starting that, that we've seen early this year, but any breaking thoughts from game one on your end? Definitely. I mean, this Garrett Cole start was when the early season struggle narrative went from just kind of a blip on the radar to an actual thing, like an actual storyline. So he goes out, he gets lit up by the Red Sox in, in the first inning of that game. Then he settles down. And the second, second start, he goes out against the Blue Jays, gets lit up early as well, and we're all kind of on the edges of our seats a little bit. Then he goes out and melts down against the Tigers, and we're officially in panic mode. Like, this is a thing. Garrett Cole is struggling. What's going on? So, to me, that game was significant because it really – the level of panic around, around Garrett Cole was magnified after that start. But then, as you said, the bullpen comes through and does what we – at this point, kind of just expected to do. And man, was Clark Schmidt good in that game. I mean, 11 whiffs on 22 Tiger swings against Clark Schmidt. And only one ball was hard hit off of him in those three and a third innings. Just remarkable stuff. And right away, you know, then the Yankees obviously come back and win the game. That goes from like, you know, coming off of the Orioles series lost, a, a game that could have turned the season into full-on, this is 2021 again, panic mode. Clark Schmidt comes through and does that, and we have a totally different narrative emerging from the start of that series. Yeah, I mean, if you had told me Clark Schmidt was going to be the one to save Garrett Cole, I probably would have called you a liar. But yeah, the bullpen, um, I mean, Wandy, Holmes, Castro, Chapman were all perfect in that game. So props to everybody. Game two. Luis Severino, the story continues. We, were, we are recording this uh, during the Yankees' first 
game of a three-game set against the Baltimore Orioles on Tuesday night. And Sebi, again, outside of a little jam that he's in right now in the top of the sixth inning, has again looked dominant. Five innings in that game, two start against the Tigers last week, only one earned run. The only hiccup from this game was on Chad Green's end. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. I want to talk about that a little bit later. But yeah, he gave up two earned runs in the sixth. But again, the rest of the bullpen, incredible. Luizaga, Clay, Chappie, all scoreless. And the bullpen just kept on rolling. No major takeaways from game two, I think. I think that was just like a get in there, find a way to win and leave. Again, a very Tampa Bay Rays type of game. But then game three rolls around, and this is where we had some some interesting storylines. So obviously the Yankees lost this game, couldn't complete the sweep, which kind of felt like the demons of last year's past when this team just could not for the life of them complete the sweep. As Anthony Santander just hit a three-run home run off Luis Severino to cut the lead in half to 6-3. But anyway, game three of this series, Yankees lose, nobody decides to hit, reeked of a getaway day. Just seems like everyone wanted to go home after this game or before the game even started. But the biggest storyline from this game – Aaron Boone intentionally walking Miguel Cabrera with second and third and one out to get to Austin Meadows with Lucas Leckie on the mound. Totally okay with the move. I think Miguel Cabrera would be totally okay with the move. I think he's like, hey, you got to win the game, right? And that's what he said the night before. They said, oh, you, you didn't get your 3,000th hit. And he was like, I don't care. We didn't win. But anyway, what are your thoughts on that on, on on us walking Miggy there? Yeah, another sort of non-story in my mind because I think anyone with any knowledge of baseball whatsoever acknowledges that that was the correct baseball move and what any smart manager would have done in that situation. And Miggy said as much after the game that he did not hold it against Boone for having done that. Um, and and he also remarked on the fact that you know even though he didn't get the hit, they won the game. So in his mind it's, it's a non-issue and, and he'd rather be in the, in the win column regardless. So obviously you're going to go attack the lefty with Licky on the mound in that situation. And I think any manager would have done the same. The fans of course have every right to boo their heads off at that moment. And I would have done it if I were a Tigers fan as well, but it's what it's baseball and the managers are trying to win the game. In that situation, going after Meadows instead of Miggy makes the best baseball sense. I mean, yeah, could you imagine how Yankee fans would react if, like, Derek Cheater, back when he was going for his 3,000th hit, was, like, intentionally walked in this situation? Yankee totally. fans would be furious. Absolutely furious. furious. Yeah. So I can definitely kind of understand where, where Detroit Tigers fans are coming from. But Aaron Boone did the Tigers a favor because he sold out, pretty much, a Tigers-Rockies game on a Thursday night in Detroit. It's very hard to do. So I hope Aaron, Bo- Aaron Boone actually got a gift basket for what he did in that game. But anyway, putting a bow, putting a bow on that series, two out of three, it didn't feel great. Like nothing you got that, about that series like felt awesome except for the bullpen. But then luckily, the Yankees come home. They face the Cleveland Guardians who had been ravaged by COVID. I think they've had five pitchers make their major league debut already this season. And they swept the crap out of them. Game one, Judge single-handedly won Friday night. He has those two home runs and threw out Andres Jimenez at third. Top of the fifth, I think the Yanks were up 3-1 with a runner on first, one out. Single into center, and for some reason, Jimenez is testing Judge. 
and Judge with his good arm threw him out. And that kind of felt like the game, kind of felt like it in that moment. Um, in game two, Nestor is still a god. Clay Holmes is still amazing. Chad Green, I'm a little worried. We'll get back to that later, as we said earlier. But the, the most uh, – we actually, let's table that for now. Any positive, positive takeaways that stand out for you from that weekend series sweep against the Guardians? I think the obvious is just how great game three felt all the way around. It was – to me, it was the game that we've been waiting for the Yankees to have all season. And it's the game that they weren't able – that they didn't have during that first stretch in April of last year. Uh, as we were all kind of waiting with bated breath for the offense to break out, it never did. This past Sunday, it felt like that really finally happened for, for the team, and everything clicked. And a blowout win is just what the doctor ordered. So, you know, coming off of a, a weird game on Saturday, and we'll talk about the, the issues off the field, I think we all kind of needed that as a palate cleanser. And definitely made me feel a lot better going into the off day and into this week. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing there, and that, especially in game three, was just the way Garrett Cole finally pitched like Garrett Cole. Um, and everything was kind of laid out perfectly for him. He got the big early lead. There's a beautiful Sunday in the Bronx. Not very high pressure against the Cleveland Guardians. I was at the game. It's kind of like a quiet, reserved game. Like everyone just everyone in the stadium just seemed like tired, including the players, especially coming off the game before that was very high intensity. Um, which I think we should talk about. So the Yankees sweep, awesome. We can talk about that forever. But I think we need to talk about the Miles Straw incident. Your your initial reaction to that, mine kind of changed as like the days went by. But but your thoughts on that on that whole situation. Yeah, so my initial thought, so beyond the obvious, and I think we would both agree to this, and I think any level-headed human being would agree to this, there's absolutely no justification whatsoever at any point for throwing something on a baseball field as a spectator. I mean, that's just, that, that goes without saying. Um, you can go to the game, you can cheer for your team, you can boo the other team, you can even shout profanities at the players. Like, we all know that that happens at Yankee Stadium, but you cannot breach that, that wall, that invisible wall that separates fans from players you just can't do it ever um, and that goes for players as well and that was why my initial reaction to what Miles Straw did was that he was a clown and I still maintain that to some extent like you don't go up the wall and get in the faces of fans you just don't do it now that being said it sounds like and we probably will never know exactly what was said but it sounds like some pretty heinous things were being lobbed at Stephen Kwan and I can respect the fact that Miles Straw felt like he had to stand up for his teammate and and confront the people that were saying those things but again i just i feel like i'm very much of the generation of sports fans that grew up with malice at the palace and that happened when i was about nine i believe and that really shaped my view of what decorum should look like between players and fans and anytime i see a player do anything involving approaching fans in a like confrontational way it just, my mind goes back to that. And I think that's something that sports has to stamp out and has pretty successfully stamped out altogether. So regardless of, of what kind of terrible things fans are saying, and we all know that they're assholes, plenty of assholes at Yankee Stadium and in plenty of other stadiums around the league as well. You just, you can't get close to breaching that wall. So I don't have a problem with Straw standing up for his teammate, but to go up the wall like that, to confront fans that closely, 
I think that is, I don't think that's appropriate. Yeah, so there was a video that came out and I think some of the things that were said, we obviously couldn't hear all of them. Um, but I think, you know, that was after Quan ran straight into the wall, that brand new horrible looking wall, by the way, that's basically, they got rid of the auxiliary scoreboard just to put advertisements up. It kind of makes me sick. But anyway, besides the point, it was right after Quan ran into the wall. And in that video from someone that was in left field, you kind of just hear people yelling like, stay down Quan," and like, you know, yelling a bunch of expletives. Um, who knows what else was said uh, and how far it actually went. But I, I think I agree. I mean, climbing up the fence and getting in a fan's face as a player, like optically, that's rarely a battle you're going to win. Um, and then it just kind of snowballed into what the Yankees fans did after the Glaber Torres walk-off double, which kind of ruined – what was a really fun moment for Glaber Torres, who's kind of struggled from a results perspective to start the season and came up against one of the best relief pitchers in MLB and smoked a, smoked a line drive into the right center field gap only for Oscar Mercado and Miles Straw to have beers tossed down at them. Um, obviously not cool. I want to say, I would, I want to say that I wish it surprised me as a Yankee fan. I mean, we've been Yankee fans for a long time and I like to think that we are, maybe some more civilized actors. Um, but knowing Yankees fans and, and knowing kind of Northeast sports fans in general, we can be a little bit crazy at times. So it's something you never want to see. And I thought going to Sunday, there was going to be like a lot more heightened security from where I was sitting. There, there wasn't, but I did see people in the bleachers kind of saying they couldn't really chant anything. They were being really strict out there. It's probably for the best. Um, but Miles Straw, probably like the most publicity he's ever going to get in his MLB career. Um, and he got booed at Yankee stadium, which is like kind of a rite of passage for some players. Like every time he was called to play booed mild straw. So mild straw is probably going to look back at that maybe with some fondness. Who knows? He was also signing pictures for fans that had brought little framed photos of him climbing up the wall. So in some ways kind of cool for mild straw. I think we can all kind of move past it. Um, other good vibe takeaways from that game three, Tim LeCastro homered. That was awesome. Not only did he homer, he did nuke. And DJ LeMahieu hit a home run to left field. And DJ LeMahieu is back to the 2019 DJ LeMahieu. And that makes all of Yankees fans very happy. But yeah, five and one. Awesome. Now we can get into our two up, two down. Our, our variation of three up, three down, where we kind of go through and take two players that did well in the past week and that we are buying stock in and two players that kind of had a down week and we are selling stock in. So Matthew, I will let you begin with yours. Perfect segue because my first player up is DJ LeMahieu, who, as you mentioned, Robert, seems to be back to the DJ that we knew and love in 2019 and 2020, perhaps even a little bit better than that, given how the first couple of weeks of the season have gone for him. Um, so the numbers that stand out, his average exit velocity is in the top 10% of the league, which it was close to when he was at his best a few years ago. Um, but what really stands out is that he's up to the 51st percentile in barrel percentage. Um, so barrels being um, balls that are hit with the optimal combination of both exit velocity and launch angle. Now we kind of know DJ as a contact hitter who kind of slaps singles the other way. That's the kind of 
image of the DJ hit that we have in our heads. But what we're seeing now is that not only is he hitting the ball really hard, but he's also elevating it. Um, and he's doing that to an extent that he wasn't doing it even at the height of his heyday back in 2019. Um, and then, as you mentioned, over the weekend um, in, the, in the Sunday blowout game, we got a, a home run, a pulled home run to left field, uh, which, we don't, which we got used to not really seeing much from DJ last year. He didn't really seem to have any of that power to the pull side. Now it seems like it's back. So that's really promising. Uh, and, and I think we should all be extremely encouraged of what we've seen from DJ. Second player up I'll go with is Anthony Rizzo. And I, I acknowledge that I am cheating a little bit for this one because we're recapping last week's series. Rizzo has two homers tonight, which puts him into the major league lead. And I think that the uh, sort of re-up on the Anthony Rizzo era is going far better than anyone would have expected. I was personally pretty disappointed when the Yankees did not make much of an attempt to trade for Matt Olson this offseason, but I don't think anyone can complain about what what we've seen from, from Rizzo thus far. He is tearing it up. As for a player down, I think I'm going to go with Giancarlo Stanton this week. He was very bad. He did have a little bit of bad luck with um, his batted ball numbers, but he also wasn't making a tremendous amount of contact. Overall numbers on the week, two for 25, 11 strikeouts. That's not going to fly. Thankfully, you know, other players on, uh, in the lineup, especially on Sunday, picked him up. Uh, and we know that Stan's going to get hot. And when he does, it's going to be spectacular. It always is. But when he scuffles, it looks ugly. And right now he's in one of those uh, scuffling periods. I think that, um, you know, I am definitely pretty hard on Aaron Boone. And I um, give him a lot of shit for decisions that he makes. One decision I think that was very good was giving Stanton the day off on Sunday. Perfectly timed. Just give him a little bit of, uh, you know, just space to get away from the game for, for a day. Sit on the bench. I thought that was a good move. Yeah, so Rizzo definitely cheating, um, but it's okay. I'll, I'll let that one slide. DJ is kind of another really good answer there. I mean, he's now got a 12-game hit streak. He got a hit tonight. Look out, Joe DiMaggio. DJ LeMahieu is coming. Uh, the Stanton thing is really sad, um, but at the same time, I feel like we all kind of just sit here in the back of our heads and know he's probably going to go on a tear eventually. Like, we have, we have become trained to accept that with Giancarlo. He's not even, like, really getting booed anymore through the stretch. Everyone's like, we kind of know what you're capable of doing, and we're just going to sit around and wait for it to happen. Um, but anyway, for my two up, two down, I might only have one up this week. Unless I can combine, like, one up and one down, they're kind of, like, interchangeable. But anyway, my first one is IKF. And I said at the end of last week's podcast, I think we each had a guy like, who, who are you looking forward to next week to having a good week, you know, at the end of last week's podcast. And I said IKF. And that doesn't mean that I'm like some predictor of the future. It just means I really like the guy. And I probably would still be defending him right now if he didn't get a single hit all week. But since last Monday, since last we spoke, not including tonight, IKF batting 409 with a 417 OBP five RBIs and had that huge, huge double off um, Emmanuel Class A to tie the game with two strikes in that ninth inning on Saturday. Um, And he's also playing a really shorthanded shortstop. Nothing makes me happier than seeing this guy succeed, knowing that everyone, everyone, a lot of people in the offseason were running around with their hair on fire after the Yankees got him instead of Carlos Correa or Corey Seager or any other big name. He's hit like an all-star to start the season. 
He's defending like an all-star. He's not going to be an all-star, but he is doing his job. He's not going to hit 300 all season. But this is really what we could ask from him. Be a slightly above 100 WRC plus player. Be good with the glove and just be that stopgap that we need him to be until hopefully Anthony Volpe comes up and he's been struggling a bit, but hopefully Anthony Volpe comes up and, and takes his place. Um, so that is my one up. <sighs> yeah, I guess I'll do this. So my other quote unquote up is Jose Trevino, but I can gloss over that pretty quickly because it segues into my first down, which is Kyle Higashioka. Batting one, batted 125 and 11 plate appearances since the last time we spoke. And Jose Trevino is coming for his job. I mean, Kyle Higashioka was kind of Garrett Cole's butt buddy for a long time last season. Then Jose Trevino is behind the plate for Garrett Cole's start on Sunday against the Guardians, and Garrett Cole shoves. So is Garrett Cole now saying, oh, man, Jose Trevino, really good framing, really good at receiving, kind of like throwing to this guy. They seem to have a really good connection going. So I don't know. Higgy's job might be in jeopardy because I think Jose Trevino is really good. I don't know actually how seriously in jeopardy his job is. Higgy is playing tonight. But Trevino has been a really good addition to this team. And I think the pitchers really like working with him. And at the end of the day, if Kyle Higashioka is not really going to hit, Jose Trevino is not really going to hit either. And Trevino behind the plate is like a god. And Higgy's great too, but Trevino might just be slightly better putting him ahead of him. My other down... Uh, is the one that I was putting off for a long time earlier, Chad Green. Um, Chad Green has completely fallen all the way down the ranks of my bullpen trust tree. And that's not to say that Chad Green is bad. I still think he's pretty good. But Michael King, Clay Holmes, Jonathan Luizaga, Wandy Peralta, Licky, so many people in that bullpen that I trust more than Chad Green. And I think that's sad. And, you know, at first I'm like, okay, he's probably just getting unlucky, whatever, whatever. But his baseball savant page is blue, stall blue, which is not what you want. You want your baseball savant page to look like a stoplight. His usually does this year. Things are just kind of down across the board. Stuff just kind of looks flat. He hasn't really gotten that big put away pitch that you kind of need as a reliever. Um, And that worries me. I, I am I am putting Chad Green down in my trust tree for the Yankees bullpen, but that's okay because there are plenty of other names to go around there. So what do you think? Chad Green, not trustworthy? Yeah, I mean, to me, the biggest red flag with Chad Green is the diminishing velocity on his fastball. Uh, so we're, I mean, it's, it's the early going, and we know that there was a short spring training, so pitcher stuff is not necessarily where it's going to be at midseason. But that being said, average velocity on the fastball uh, in 2019 was 96.4. Last year, uh, or 2020, the shortened season, 95.5. Last year, 95.7. This year, it's all the way down to 94.4 miles an hour. That's a full mile per hour off of the velocity from last year. And that, to me, is a red flag. Um, Because of Chad Green's profile, he's not a pitcher – with devastating secondary stuff. He's a pitcher that relies on that fastball and, you know, seeing consistent 95, 96, 97 for a hitter is way different than seeing consistently 92, 93, 94. Um, And so if Chad Green loses a mile per hour off his fastball, he's going to be a markedly genuinely less effective pitcher. So I'm hoping the velocity comes back as the season, as the season goes on, as the weather warms, but if it doesn't, then I think you're exactly right. He's down, he's down the, uh, the totem pole 
as far as um, the hierarchy of which pitchers we can trust. Uh, thank you for getting into the weeds of his velo there. Clearly, my assessment was very lazy. All I did was go to his baseball savant and be like, uh, it's blue. Okay, this might not be a fluke. Um, side note, the Yankees are now only up 6-4. And as we sit here and drool over the bullpen, Clay Holmes giving up some soft contact runs. Never fun. But moving right along and trying to distract ourselves from the fact that the Yankees might blow a 6 nothing lead to the Orioles, let's get into our... New segment. How about that? The Gary of the week. So Matthew and I have always been big time Gary Sanchez apologists. We've always been fans of Gary Sanchez. We wish him nothing but the best in any of his future endeavors as a Minnesota twin and beyond. But we have to devote a segment to Gary Sanchez, which is basically we take one player on the Yankees and we say, did this person have a better week? than Gary Sanchez. Matt, I will let you kick us off here. Sure thing. Very excited uh, about who is going to be covered in the first iteration of this segment because it feels poetic and appropriate in a way that the first Gary of the week is Garrett Cole, the man who famously refused to throw to Gary Sanchez for large portions of last season and the season before that. So Garrett Cole, what an interesting week for our guy Garrett Cole. He had, those, he had two starts, both of which we've talked about a little bit on the pod so far. He had an absolute nightmare, a meltdown against Detroit in the first start of the week. Tied a career high in walks issued in a start. It was tied for his shortest ever outing. Or Actually, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I believe it was his shortest outright, his shortest ever outing at one and two-thirds innings. And the outing was also tied for the second most pitches thrown by a Yankee in a single inning since pitch tracking became universal in 2008. Just garbage. Like, he, it just, it was terrible. It was one of the worst performances from a starter of his caliber that I've ever seen in my entire career as a baseball fan. And as I mentioned before, it kind of set in, the panic set in for me. After two below average shaky starts to start the year, then you go out and throw out a total clunker against the Detroit Tigers, missing, you know, some of their best hitters. That's not a way to instill, uh, to instill a lot of confidence in fans. And then he comes out on, on uh, Sunday and throws one of the best starts we've seen from him in the recent past. I mean, you got to go back to probably August of last year to see a start where we saw that version of Garrett Cole. He was simply dominant. Nine strikeouts, just one walk. He really used all of his pitches. Uh, his slider, I thought, was particularly impressive, but also his changeup was good in the limited sample that we saw it. Um, his fastball seemed to fool hitters a lot more. Um, and overall, just the Garrett Cole that we, that, we, that, we, that we expect. So what was different between the two starts? Actually, it's interesting because the swings and misses were pretty similar across both. Um, so even when he was really having trouble against the Tigers, he was getting those whips, and those were present in the Cleveland start as well. Uh, but what was different was um, the fact that, that Cole was also getting a lot of called strikes against Cleveland. So the called strike plus whiff percentage adding up called strikes and whiffs was markedly higher in the Cleveland start um, than it was in the Detroit start when hitters really were on everything. They weren't, um, they kind of knew what was coming. They were able to even just foul off some pitches. Um, whereas in the Cleveland start, it he was catching hitters off guard with his stuff. And what else, the other thing that really stood out between the two starts was the spin rate. Um, Cole added spin on all of his, on his, on his fastball as well as his curve and slider. 
in the Cleveland start. Um, so he just had a much better feel for the ball. And that's really what we want to see from Garrett Cole. So we'll see which version is the real one next time he goes out. Um, but it's interesting because on average, it was sort of like a, a wash of a week, I suppose, because there was one such garbage start and then one such excellent one. Um, if we look at Gary Sanchez's week, he uh, had what, what I would call a very standard Gary week, three for 16. So the average is not there, but he did have two doubles. Also, interestingly, had a stolen base. So that's a little bit out of character for him. Um, but he played through Wednesday of last week and then did not appear in a game after Wednesday. Um, so I think overall, given that Cole's good start led the Yankees to a sweep and was one of the most, definitely the most genuinely feel-good game of the season, one of the most feel-good games of the last couple of years, I would say, I think we can say for this week that Gary Cole had a better week than his erstwhile nemesis, Gary Sanchez. I think Garrett Cole, if he gave up 75 earned runs and back-to-back starts in a week, would still be having a better week than Gary Sanchez. The man is making $30 million and is the ace of the New York Yankees. It does not get much better than that. But I do think it's funny because Garrett Cole and Gary Sanchez, I like to think of them as arch nemeses. I like to think of them as giving like very evil stares at each other in the clubhouse back last year. That's probably not at all what happened. I just think Gary Sanchez is a bad catcher. Um, anyway, my Gary of the week is none other than Joey Gallo, who actually really experienced the Gary Sanchez treatment in the last seven days at Yankee Stadium. I guess the last four days at Yankee Stadium. Minus tonight, finally homered. A lot of our narratives are kind of getting screwed over by tonight, but you know we'll keep moving forward. Since Monday, Gallo, 55% strikeout rate and a 5% walk rate. One true outcome hitter. Zero home runs, might I add. Striking out 55% of the time is absolutely insane. Add on to that, you get the Gary Sanchez treatment of getting booed at Yankee Stadium all weekend long in a series that you swept. That's peak Gary. That's, That's peak Yankees fans are singling you out and are just hating on you and being at those games especially friday night because people were just ready to get on gallo after that detroit series people had started having enough the boos were loud as Connor falefa makes a great diving play to end the inning um but yeah definitely a worse week than gary sanchez gary sanchez is in minnesota flying under the radar no one really cares about him no one's gonna boo gary sanchez in minnesota they're too nice in the midwest gary can do his thing go three for 16 and with two doubles and people will be happy. People are like, okay, go Gary. Doesn't fly in New York. Joey Gallo is learning the hard way. He had a very Gary Sanchez slump-esque week at Yankee Stadium. But he homered tonight, so maybe things are on the up and up. So that's my Gary of the week. Now, speaking of Joey Gallo, we have yet another segment. Yet another new segment. The Joey Gallo Babbitt Award. Basically, this will go to anyone that we see as having been very unlucky or having an unlucky moment over the past week. So once again, Matt, I will let you do the honors of being the first one to kick off this new segment for us. The inaugural Joey Gallo Babbitt Luck Award. For me, this week goes to poor old Lucas Lickey, who is a guy that we both gushed about rightfully on the pod last week because he's been such a stalwart in that bullpen. And we both agreed last week that in terms of the hierarchy of lefties in the pen, we would trust Licky over Oldest Chapman at this point. I stand by that. 
So poor Lucas Lickie got thrown into the, uh, the unenviable situation of the wake of Aaron Boone's decision to walk Miguel Cabrera at 2,999 hits. Uh, and Boone did that because Lickie was on the mound, dominant lefty, and the hitter coming in, up in the lineup after Miggy was Austin Meadows, a lefty who really struggles against lefties. And Lickie had to come out and do his job, which is, you know, get lefties out. And what happens? He does the job, induces a pop-up, essentially a little blooper, with an exit velocity of 74.3 miles an hour and an expected batting average of 190. If a hitter uh, exclusively hit these kind of hits, they would not even be a Mendoza line hitter. And of course, that little blooper finds a shade of grass out in the just absolutely cavernous <laughs> outfield of Comerica Park, drops in for a two-run double uh, that ended up winning the Tigers a game. Poor Lucas Lickie. I mean, really, yeah, poor, right. poor Lucas Lickie is just kind of the prisoner of Aaron Boone really pissing off the baseball gods because that was right after he walked Mickey. So I think whoever was on the mound, they were going to have some fluke stuff happening to them there. And you could just see that whole thing unfolding. Like the second he made contact, you're just like, there's no chance Aaron Hicks is catching that baseball. So, hey, you see what happens when you piss off the baseball gods. They have a cruel way of getting back at you. So I am going to brand this Joey Gallo Babbitt Award more so. We could even call it like the Aaron Boone, quote unquote, he's close award. Because I also love talking about when I think players are close. And one of those players is Josh Donaldson. A 111 BABIP since Monday. He's one for three tonight, but not including tonight. 111 BABIP since Monday, five hard hit balls per, per fan graphs. Now, he did homer this weekend against Cleveland, and he's making a lot of solid contact. And I actually texted my buddy after the game Friday, who I share a fantasy team with, and I said, in perfect Aaron Boone quotes, He's close. And the next day he hit a home run and he pimped it. And it made me feel really good and kind of smart. But Donaldson, close. Giancarlo Stanton is another one, but more of an honorable mention. 167 Babbitt on, since Monday on five hard hit balls, but he's also striking out 43% of the time. So it's kind of hard to give him the benefit of the doubt there. Also, Giancarlo's like never really close. Like you can never look at his swing and be like, oh, he's kind of figuring it out because every single swing he takes looks the same and looks just as bad. He just happens to do well when the ball just happens to randomly connect with the bat, which seems to happen twice a year. So we're all just sitting here waiting for Giancarlo Stanton to get hot. But my Joey Gallo Babic Luck Award winner is Josh Donaldson. He's batting 190. He's so due to go on a tear. I was hoping it would start after the home run on Saturday, but he's still having some – sitting a lot of ground balls still. But he's close, and he's close in my eyes. So who – looking ahead to next week now as we – wrap up here we've spoken about the past week we've run it all down let's start looking ahead who's one guy much like the exercise we did last week who is one guy that you think we'll be talking about next week as the man of the hour yeah so i hate to go with a with the same player that i mentioned in a previous segment but i just turned to look at my screen and i see 
DJ LeMahieu hitting another frozen rope the opposite way, dropping in for yet another base hit. And it's, it's really exciting because we, we all saw how great the team was when DJ was carrying the team back in 2019. I mean, he was, you could argue that he was their consistently best player that season. And it was because he was just setting the table so well. He was leading off every game and he was coming up and doing what we just saw him do. Just getting on base, making solid contact, getting on base, flexing a little bit of power every now and then. And it seems like that player is back. And one of the most deflating things in my mind about the 2021 Yankees was that DJ was just any kind of, any player. He was just an average player, slightly below average offensively. And now we're seeing the DJ that, that, that we first came to know and love three years ago. So I think DJ is going to continue to carry the team this week. Uh, I think the Yankees are going to, I think they're going to pull this one out against Baltimore and have a good series and then go to Kansas city and, and do well there as well. Um, and I think DJ is going to be a big part of that success. So I agree. DJ's great. For mine, though, I kind of want to bring up someone that I feel like isn't really being appreciated for how he's started this season. And it's Jamison Tyone. Can I kind of start like the Jamison Tyone bandwagon thing a little bit? He's had three starts this season, opened up against Toronto, five innings, six strikeouts, two earned runs, and then Baltimore, four and two thirds, two earned, two strikeouts. Not great. But then comes back against the Guardians this weekend. Five innings pitched, five strikeouts, seven hits. You know, we can look past that. One earned run, no walks. He's only walked one batter in 14 and I think two-thirds innings this season. He's got to start coming up against Baltimore this week. If he's able to have another good start, that's kind of four straight pretty solid starts for Jamison Tyone. And I think we're kind of talking about Jamison Tyone as someone that's become reliable after last season kind of – having some good starts here and there, but also having some struggles and some growing pains and doesn't really have a put out pitch. And he kind of found something against Cleveland, that backdoor curveball, the lefties, he loves throwing. So he's going to keep doing that. I hope. But yeah, Jamison Tyone coming off surgery. I legitimately didn't think Jamison Tyone was going to be a part of this rotation regularly this season. Like he's not someone that I was talking about a lot before the season started. That's like an X factor or someone that we can look to, but if he keeps pitching like this, I don't think we're going to have much of a choice. Is, is Jamison Tyone in your eyes, someone that can actually be a serious part of this rotation or is he going to flame out at some point? Are, are the injuries going to come back and, and haunt him a little bit? Well, I love, I love the walk rate, as you mentioned. I mean, he's, he's not walking anybody, which is a good recipe uh, for success. I am a little concerned about the fact that he is giving up quite a bit of hard contact. Uh, last year, he got what the stats say is slightly unlucky in that he, his earn run average was 4.3, expected was 3.89. This year, it's sort of the opposite. So he is uh, limiting the damage right now, 3.07 ERA. Expected numbers based on quality of contact say it should be more like 4.02, but that's still quite a serviceable starter. So I, I agree with you. If, if Jamison Tyone can keep up this level of production and, and slot in as you know, a quality number four starter, then the Yankees are going to be in great shape because you know, when you have Cole, who's going to be Cole, already has started, and you have Nestor, who's, you know, I don't see any reason to think Nestor is going to slow down too much. You have Severino, who's looked pretty good through one bad pitch tonight. It wasn't even that bad of a pitch, honestly. And you have Jordan Montgomery and, and Tyone, 
we're kind of both contending for those four and five spots. That's a dominant rotation. And Tyone is a big part of that, right? You're going to have to go to the well of your number four guy um, during the entire regular season and into the postseason. So I'm with you. If Jameson Tyone can keep doing this, if he can limit the walks, if he can limit the damage, the Yankees got to feel very good about their chances. Okay, and of course, our last thing, our, our final word. So we have three games against the Orioles, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Let's assume we're going to win this one, and then three games against the Royals. So it's probably six games until we'll speak again. What's the Yankees' record over those six games? I'm going to go with four and two this week. I, think they, I don't think they sweep the Orioles. I think they will slip up in, in one of those games. And I think they'll also take two or three from the Royals. I, I think they will lose the game against the Royals where the Royals are debuting their city connect jerseys, just because I think the great energy from how awesome those jerseys are, will propel the team to a win that night, but Yankees will win the series. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to say they're going to go five and one. And I say, I'm going to do it because I'm too much of a coward to say they'll go six and oh, but this is a huge opportunity for the Yankees to get fat. So right now they are 10 and six, hopefully win tonight, 11 and six. And you have a pretty tough schedule coming up next week. You get Toronto on the road. Who knows who's even going to be like a part of that series, who's vaccinated, who's not. We saw what that did to the Red Sox bullpen this week. And then you have Texas at home. But four games against Toronto, or is it only three? It's only three games against Toronto. But this is an opportunity for the Yankees to get fat, and I think they can take advantage of it. Rizzo's hitting great. I think Donaldson's going to get going. LeMahieu is hitting well. Judge is hitting well. Stands due to do something to win one of these games by himself. The Yankees can come out of this five and one, and then we look up, and all of a sudden they're they're you know fifteen and seven heading into Toronto next week, and we're like, all right, here we go. The Yankees are good. Can't remember the last time the Yankees had a really good start in April, but as you know, I've been probably irrationally bullish on this team since before the season started. But yeah, those are my thoughts on how the next week will go any other final thoughts from you Matthew before we depart from our podcasting I feel like this the the game that we've been watching as we've been podcasting is such a microcosm of the psychology around this team where they do some good things and then things take a turn for the worst and we all we all start panicking I don't know when I saw Santander hit that three-run homer the worst thoughts kind of started to creep into my head but now it looks like they're about to pull even further ahead. Bases loaded, nobody out in the bottom of the seventh. So I hope that this game, this little April game against Baltimore on a rainy Tuesday night in New York serves as a microcosm for what the 2022 Yankees will end up being when it's all said and done. Of course. And, and as is tradition, we're going to hop off of this podcast and John Carlos Stanton's going to hit a grand slam. But if you've enjoyed the podcast, leave a, leave a rating, leave a review, share us with your friends, your family, your dog, your cat, anyone that can listen to the podcast. We would really appreciate it. You can follow Matt on Twitter at MCGerald14. Do I have that right? Yes, you do. At MCGerald14. You can follow myself, Robert Coles, at rcoles0206. That's at R-C-O-L-E-S-0206. You can follow Pinstripe Perspective on Twitter at Pinstripe Purse. That is at the word Pinstripe, P-E-R-S. As Stanton, it's an RBI single into right field, and the Yankees are hopefully going to end up winning this game like 11-4 or something. But with that, hopefully the next time we speak with you, the Yankees are 15-7 and or whatever, and we're all hunky-dory going into a big series with Toronto. 
So without further ado, go Yanks, and thank you for listening.